0: There was Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of another generation, who, while he was teaching the young preachers, said to them, when, when you talk about heaven, let a, a, a light of glory shine on your faces. But um, when you talk about hell, uh, your everyday face will work just fine. I don't want to have an everyday face today because I want to talk to you about heaven. I want to talk about heaven because everybody wants to know about heaven, and the Bible does not have detailed accounts about uh, the life which is to come. So one has to think about it, reflect on it, and take uh, the evidence that we have and try to piece it together. And besides, this is, um, this is the Sunday when we remember all of those who are now in heaven. We are connected people. We are a people who remember. Uh, it isn't enough for us to think about this brief span of time we have here on this earth. We know that our, our home is in a city not made with human hands. And so there is naturally a, a desire to know more. During the years of my pastorate, I've been asked many questions. I'm going to briefly reflect on five of them today. And the first question I, I want to talk about, I want to uh, raise and then try to address, is: Is heaven a place? Is is heaven a place? I, I believe one of the reasons why we ask that question is because we've been influenced more by new age kind of thinking than any of us care to admit. Consequently, some have begun to think about heaven as a as a state more than an actual place. We we forget that Jesus said, I, I go to prepare a place uh, for you. He didn't say, I, I'm going to prepare a what I am for you. It, it is not the teaching of Christianity that we are someday absorbed into this amorphous mass called God, like a drop of water is absorbed into the ocean. The, the Bible knows none of that. Jesus said, I, I go to prepare a place for you, and, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also, now, we do not know where that place is. The Bible doesn't tell us that. Our universe now is, is understood as far more gigantic, the cosmos, than we ever dreamed. We don't say up, down, sideways, or wherever. Uh, we'll wait for God to surprise us with where heaven is. Some years ago, when one of the first Russian cosmonauts went up, You remember, he he said from his vantage point in space, I I don't see heaven up here, so it must not exist. And we all laugh because that's so silly. It's rather like when I used to go home with Ferris Thomas. Uh, Ferris was one of my best friends uh, as a little boy, and I loved to go home with Ferris because I could play with firecrackers when I was at his house. I never could at my place. And Ferris always had a few of them, and one of our favorite things was to put one on the ground with a fuse sticking out there and put a syrup can over it and then light it and let the uh, firecracker bop it up in the air. I see you nodding your head. Some of you have done that too. Now, that was a long time before we knew about rockets. We were all already trying to get things into space. Must have gone 10, 15, sometimes 20 feet high. And, and that was a thrill to us. I, I suspect it's, it's kind of like that from God's vantage point. As, as God who has created this vast uh, cosmos that, that has as many stars as they are grains of sand on the seashore. And we're only now just beginning to, to realize how vast it really is. And, and God, seeing us shoot our little rockets off to the nearest stars, or moon, or whatever, is, is, is a kid, was uh, shooting that syrup can up into the night sky with a firecracker. So we don't know where, but we know in this universe, God has a place for us, and, and that, that, that's enough for us. We know it's a spacious place. Our translation today said many dwellings. Uh, the Revised Standard says many rooms. The King James, you know, I like that best here, says many mansions. And Jim Fleming says that's a more accurate translations, uh, translation many mansions. I've told you about my experience of living in a room at Boston while we were going to school. How we, Jeannie uh, and I, slept on a single bed. How we. Cooked, she cooked everything in one electric fry pan and then cleaned it up at the community bathroom down at the end of the hall. I don't like just living in a room. I'm glad the King James Version says a mansion. I like that much better. I like a spacious place. I, I don't even like that old song the gospel singer used to sing about, just give me a corner in glory land. I, I'm not into corners either, <laughs> uh, unless it's a corner condo or something like that. <laughs> I, I like the idea that, that, that God is really going all out here, and uh, that um, he, he loves us that much, and it's It's ample. I mean, the Bible says that that we're going to have 12 gates into the Holy City and they open in all directions and and people from all nations and nationalities and tongues and races will be there. We're going to be surprised at some of the people who make it. We're going to be surprised at some of the people who don't make it. And our biggest surprise may be that we make it. But the Bible tells us it is a spacious place. So is heaven a place? Absolutely, heaven is a place. The second question, do we go to heaven immediately when we die? Here the witness of the scripture is a little bit more difficult to interpret. Because there is a witness that says we sleep until we're raised, until we're recreated. Some are raised for uh, glory and some are raised for judgment, but we sleep until that time. And then there is another witness that says we go immediately. Now, I, I, I subscribe to the latter. I, I believe we go immediately when we die uh, to, to meet the Lord. Now I, I would cite two reasons for that and only two in this brief uh, discussion. I would say, first of all, that when Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, he reminded them that Moses testified to the resurrection. When Moses talked about our God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus goes on to say, he is the God of the living and not of the dead. Now, when he talks about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is the God of... He is not... Uh, they are not lying in the grave somewhere. Their remains are there. But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are with the Lord. So he is the, he is the God of the living and, and not of the dead. I, I, I think that makes a strong point. I believe also the strongest point comes when that uh, thief beside Jesus, who was dying on a cross beside him, repented of his sins and, and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your glory. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. I like that. Today, this day, you will be with me. I, I recall a call from, um, uh, from a friend of mine who was one of the first ex- executives with American Family Life And he he wanted to to talk with me, and he knew he only had a few days to live. I remember sitting face to face, and he said, I I have a a number of questions that I wanted to ask you about them. And one of the first ones, he said, I want you to tell me what you think happens one second after I die. And, And I couldn't do any better than to tell him the story some of you have heard me tell about going to my grandfather and grandmother's house in Florida, one of my all-time favorite places to go, there on the banks of the Suwannee River. My my grandfather was was such a powerful influence in my spiritual life. He was a man of of devout prayer and, and Bible study. And as a little boy, when it was almost time for granddaddy to pray, I would always go get on the bed because I knew I'd never make it through. I'd always go to sleep before he finished praying. And he was a long prayer. And, and, and the next morning, I would wake up in my place, the place where I, I slept when I was at granddaddy's house. I, I never went into the table and said, how did I get there? I knew that my daddy... In his big strong arms that picked me up and carried me to my place. I believe that's what happens when we die. That's what I told my friend. Jesus said, I will come again and take you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I believe Jesus comes for us. Someone who is strong and powerful, who loves us and is prepared a special place, and we'll awaken with him in that special place. So, yes, I believe we go immediately to be with him. Third question I want to mention, do we know each other in heaven? Do we know each other? Now, after their initial surprise that Jesus had been raised from the dead, the disciples knew Jesus when they saw him. It is the Lord, they said. They, they recognized him. I think many of us have gone for the Greek notion that we are only souls when we are resurrected. And it's true that we're not flesh and blood. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. And, and we do have souls. But there is never a time in the scripture when we have a description of soul apart from body. The Hebrews considered the fact that we are Souls. So Paul tells us very clearly in First Corinthians 15, we're going to get a new body. We're going to get a, a, a spiritual body. This mortal will put on immortality. This perishable will put on imperishable. We're, we're going to have a spiritual body. Uh, but the, the soul will be in that new body that will never get old or no pain anymore. But, but we will be recognizable in that body just as Jesus was recognizable in his glorified body. Mind you, our God knows us individually. He calls his sheep by name. Our God calls us individually to repent of our sins. Our God calls us to accept or to reject our salvation individually. We must believe individually. Nobody else can do that for us. So it would be inconceivable that we could lose our individuality when we die. We will still have that individuality. We will, we will know as we are known. That's what the scriptures say. So of course we will, we will recognize each other. We will, we will be perfected if there's a part of our body that doesn't work Here in that perfect body, we will be without blemish and without fault. We'll have a spiritual body, but we will be recognizable. Personality will survive the grave. Newman said it best in those classic words, We shall see again those angel faces smile, which we have loved long since and lost a while. We believe that. Number four, are we married in heaven? Now this is a tough issue for many who have that uh, wonderful relationship that comes through a lot of years, a lot of shared experiences. It, w- it would be incredible uh, to, to spend eternity with that person and, and not have a special relationship with them. And so this is a question that comes many times <clears throat> When someone has lost a spouse, that, that'll go away when the political ads are off TV. <laughs> it's, um, it, it, it's a thought of, uh, how could um, this marriage so wonderful here uh, uh, not continue in the next life? And this is why another faith, not our faith, but another faith that has another holy book, says that, that you will be married forever. But that's not Christianity. For us, we have one Bible, one holy book, and one Savior. And Jesus has spoken definitively to this issue. Remember when he said it? The Sadducees came and posed this question. They posed it about the law of liberator, the levirate law, that says if a man dies and leaves his, his wife childless, then his brother should marry her and raise up children in his brother's name. And so uh, the, the Sadducees made up this incredible story of this poor woman whose husband died, and he had surviving brothers. In fact, he had seven brothers. And one after the other, they all married this woman, and, and they died and left her without a child. And, and finally, all seven had married her. They all died, and then finally this poor woman died. And then the Sadducees said, now in heaven, uh, whose wife will she be? And Jesus knew it was a trick question. The Sadducees uh, didn't even believe in the resurrection. They were trying to trip up Jesus. And Jesus said, in heaven, we do not marry and we are not given in marriage. And then he said, but we are like the angels in heaven. Now, I like that, and I think that's how we ought to think about this passage. We don't marry, we aren't given in marriage, but we are like the angels. Which is to say that we no longer have a physical bond that ties us together, but we have a spiritual bond which is infinitely stronger and totally fulfilling and will endure throughout all of eternity. Be like the angels. Now, that's, that's a stretch for a lot of us, I'm telling you. That's going, to be a, that's going to be a big step up. That's, that's Jesus' way of saying the relationships are going to be incredible in heaven. That's, that's why Paul said, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Far more wonderful than we can conceive. Far more terrific. And, and when you take the best marriage the world has ever known, whatever that marriage is, and then just make it in infinitely better, the relationship, the spiritual relationship, than that marriage, then you're having some idea about how the relationships among all of God's family will be when we get to heaven. Better than the best relationships on earth. That's the promise of heaven. And that's infinitely greater than anything we could ever imagine. And then those parents and others who have lost children ask me this question. Does does my child miss me in heaven? Will my child remember me in heaven? Or will he or she uh, forget all about their daddy or their granddaddy or whomever? This is a question that comes out of a of a heart of pain and, and, and suffering? And it's a question I think we, um, we need to address. First of all, uh, there isn't any loneliness in heaven. Loneliness is, is one of the most painful experiences we can have. The Bible clearly teaches that there is no pain in heaven. Pain and suffering are no more. So we can just absolutely conclude our child, our loved one, is not lonely in heaven. That is just as clear as as Bible teaching can be. We can be assured of that. We are lonely. We suffer loneliness here, but not beyond the veil, not in the next life. They do not experience that loneliness. More than that, when these little ones go to God, the Bible tells us they have a a wonderful proximity to God. Jesus himself said that in heaven, the angels of these little ones are always looking on the Father's face. Now, what does that mean except they have a preferential place? What does that mean except they are very, very close to God at all times? So we can relax because those little ones have infinitely better care with the Father than any of us could ever give them in this life. I was reminded of that in a special way when I went up to Pennsylvania some years ago to preach at a pastor's school. Uh, Another preacher who was there was uh, Dr. Bob Tuttle, who has also preached for us here. I I was still in a state of grief because... We had lost a, a beautiful little grandbaby, Mildred Elizabeth, a name for our oldest daughter. Uh, the baby was full term. Some of you remember when we lost Millie. And, and inexplicably, she died the, the night before uh, the C-section that would uh, bring her into this world. And um, I was, we were praying together before we went to sleep. He was my roommate and we were sharing our our own prayer needs, and I started talking about Millie, and I started crying, and and I remember he said something to me that that, that was such a blessing. It was a word from God. He said, Bill, we're going to let Father Abraham raise that one. Don't worry about Millie. Father Abraham is going to raise her. You just uh, take care of those others. He's going to take care of her. And and somehow the truth of that came home to me. Our Heavenly Father, Father Abraham, whomever he assigns to the awesome responsibility of these little ones who are so close to him, he's going to take care of them. And they aren't aware of all this passage of time. I like the metaphor of, of time and timelessness of the conveyor belt. You've heard me talk about it. When when we come into the world, we're put on this conveyor belt, and it's moving steadily. We can see our grandparents up front, and aunts and uncles, and then we see our parents and our older brothers and sisters, and then finally we're on that conveyor belt, and, and time bears all its sons and daughters away. And you see that the grandparents are no longer in this world. And then it's aunts and uncles and parents. And then for some of us, they are no more in this world. And then we're in the front on that conveyor belt. And it's still steadily moving forward. And we see the generations coming behind us. But when someone goes to be with the Lord, they step off that belt. They are no longer limited by time and space. They are no longer the victims of time. They don't have the same sensation of the long passage of time that you and I have. Indeed, the Bible gets at that when it says, But a thousand years with the Lord is just like a day, just like a watch in the night those little ones from whom we have been separated all these years, uh, that loved one, they, they have barely begun their orientation of the holy city before the Lord sends one of his angels to say, uh, uh, stop what you're doing and, and come out to the, to, the, to the east gate because somebody special is coming up the walk and I want you to be there to greet him. We feel the passage of time. They do not. And so they are spared those, that sense of grief and loneliness that sometime comes with the separation that death imposes. My friends, Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 that God is prepared for our salvation before the foundations of the universe— a salvation for all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and call on his name. We are not an afterthought. We do not have some slipshod, make it up as you go. We have a Savior who has pre- pre- saved us and prepared for us a place. We have a place prepared. It's our place. By faith we accept our Savior and he will take us to be with himself. Thanks be to God. Amen. Christ, our Lord, invites to his table all who love him who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin and lift our praises before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not... Forgive us, we pray, and free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. The Lord be with you. And also be. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. O Lord, our heavenly Father, we, thy humble servants, desire thy fatherly goodness mercifully to accept this our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, most humbly beseeching thee to grant that, by the merits and death of thy Son Jesus Christ, and through faith in his blood, we and thy whole church may obtain forgiveness of sins. And all other benefits of his passion. And here we offer and present unto thee, O Lord, ourselves, our souls and bodies, to be a reasonable, holy, and lively sacrifice unto thee. Humbly beseeching thee that all we who are partakers of this holy communion be filled with thy grace and heavenly benediction. And although we be unworthy through our manifold sins to offer unto thee any sacrifice, Yet we beseech Thee to accept this our bounden duty and service, not weighing our merits, but pardoning our offenses, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, by whom and with whom, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory be unto thee, O Father Almighty, world without end. Amen. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ. With the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen.
1: He said
0: body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you. May it nourish your souls unto everlasting life. Eat this in remembrance of him and be thankful.